comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. We are the three amigos. We are the three amigos. We are the Episode 287. So, we've got a show in the can, right? Because we've been sitting here for 30 stinking minutes. Where's that pizza we ordered to go? Wasn't it 30 minutes ago? because they deliver in 30 minutes or less and we've absolutely been sitting here for 30 stinking minutes. I can count. Okay, banana peel. I'll remember that. Oh, wait. That's not what that says. What does that say? Sage. Very good. Sage. Welcome to another patio show, <laughs> but not quite a patio. It's more like a laid-back garden room show. If, if a patio were enclosed with glass and had a ceiling fan over the top of it and 18 animals. Waitress. <laughs> Waitress. What, what episode is this? This is what two eighty seven. I don't know. Two eighty yes it is. Two eighty seven. Waitress. Waitress. <gasps> Waitress. Pizza. One more service, okay. por favor. Now you know why. I'm okay, here. so because she doesn't take Pizza. she doesn't take junk from nobody. Sage, high five, buddy. Right, go watch awesome. TV. Good, good, good work. All right, go get your Jumanji on, homeboy. Right. This is half hour wasted. Woo! Yeah, how come we're unplugged? Oh, <laughs> half hour wasted unplugged. I like yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> because our mixer is dead. Oh. So, uh, we. Uh, what's funny is that before it died, a couple of days ago before this recording, uh, it was still operating, but I knew it was on its last leg. So, okay. I tweeted. Kind of like my career. I dis- yes. Uh, and Sting's career. Oh, I tweeted, no. I mean, I discussed with Frank and Jill. Tell me that off, tell me a story off air, I guess. I'm just thinking I haven't heard anything productive. Thank you, ma'am. Don't shake it up before you throw it at me. <laughs> Thank you very so much. much. Do you want that one? Sure. It looked fancy. I'll she take it. To taste I'll it. To the professor. She's Yay. a keeper, girl. Let's all cheers. Do that. Cheers to the, the professor. She's, she's an okay lady. <laughs> 
You're an okay lady. Thanks. Just like Oklahoma. <laughs> Oklahoma's okay. So, I knew the thing was going to die soon. In fact, the last time we got together and recorded, we actually had it apart. The bottom was off. Yes. And it was sitting there, precariously perched, hoping that it wouldn't cut out in the middle of the program. Well, we used everything on it but the solder iron. That's only because you wouldn't let me. All right. And I even, we even tried um, super glue, which didn't work. Yeah. There's one piece... I thought that was... Is it... It doesn't seem like super glue and electricity go together. Well, <laughs> it's not a good conductor. Yeah. I mean... We can all agree on that. Um... Am I ignorant of that? Yeah, I mean, I was trying just, everything. Yeah, that did it was not either seem... that or hold it the whole hour and a half, and I didn't want to do that. So yeah, the problem is you got to you got to hold one uh, leg in, in your right hand and hold one leg in your left hand, and the electricity courses through your heart the entire yeah. show, which was difficult. Which so, is not good unless you have a really strong heart. There was one piece of the motherboard that was had come off. <gasps> Whoa. And huh. anyway, that wasn't me. Say so. A couple of days ago, I discussed with Frank and Bill. I said it's time. I think it's time we appeal to the generosity of our listeners. So I sent out a tweet, and this is an appeal to the listeners. If you would, guys would like to help us purchase a new mixer, that would be awesome. And we're going to get one eventually because I don't want to do any shows like this forever yeah and, and, and frankly we we just cannot keep taking money out of half our oasis 401k plan because the penalties are enormous yeah right if and, you would like to throw some money our way via paypal to help us purchase a new mixer um we need to raise about two hundred dollars two hundred dollars about about two hundred two hundred fifty dollars Okay. That's about it's about all we need. We're going to upgrade the mixer. So we're not going to get the Yamaha M7K then? No. Okay. We um so that it would actually be it would actually take up most of the space on the table. So I guess it's a good idea. We I like I said I tweeted once. I have already have one donation. Thank Can you. Can we say their name? I don't want to put them on the spot. Okay. Maybe when all is said and done, we'll list off the names of all the People, <laughs> this is like our own um, Kickstarter. Kickstarter, yes. yeah. This is a half hour wasted starter. Um, Luckily, we have more than two weeks to pull this off. <laughs> so, uh, and that's why have, that's why Kickstarters are drag. I have one pending uh, donation. I w- I've been told this person's interested, but I haven't. He hasn't. Uh, he or she hasn't. <laughs> uh, haven't. Uh, come through for me yet okay as it were but anyway if you guys would like to help us that would be awesome send me an email brad at halfhourwasted.com and i will let you know how you could help us and just remember if you're going to uh send us uh less than 41 cents uh, it's going to cost you more to mail it so (laughs) just consider that if for some reason we end up being showered with affection by you guys and end up getting more money than we need then the balance... And it's highly likely. Highly unlikely. Oh, likely. Oh, likely. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm feeling optimistic. Wow. Right now. I took a nap. The balance will go into the HHWLOD podcast operating budget. Which there is really one. There is Believe one. Uh, we have, In fact, we have uh, hosting dues yes. coming up. Website dues. Okay. Uh, yearly expenses. So whatever... I'm not going to go buy, you know, the latest Blu-ray release with the 
excess. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to send, I'm going to PayPal the money to one of the guys who is in charge of the budget, which is not me. And so, so that's weird because you told me you were really looking forward to getting that that uh, 3D Blu-ray player. <laughs> was that was that in confidence? Was I not it supposed was, to understand on the air? It was in confidence. Actually, huh. it, uh, you didn't hear the whole story. It's the um, Brad wants to get the 3D HD DVD player. Oh, good! I think that's a poor investment. No, you know what? Well, the the prices have really come down on the HD DVD system. format. Yeah. So that monkey's uh, driving a police motorcycle. Wow. Well, that's comedy. What what movie is in the other Jumanji? window? Oh, you know what? I've never, I've never seen Jumanji. Jumanji. So, again, we're going to get a mixer. If you guys want to help, that would be much appreciated. Uh, and and don't feel like it has to be yeah, this in is the not a have to. Yeah, this isn't a have to. And anything from, from you know, a dollar on up is appreciated. Yes. You know, this is like public radio almost. Yeah. You know, whatever you can you can donate, we would greatly appreciate it. And, um, and you know, is, hopefully the the entertainment we provide you, you know, will your heart will, will you know swell yeah. up a little bit in the pride of once we get going that we'll get a new yeah and a new we can user. even put out like a, a roll of honor you know for for those of you kind souls if, if we want we don't want to sell anybody out I guess this is certainly not a guilt trip no but we do this show for you the listener so how about doing something for us yeah for <laughs> once in your crummy lives. No, of course not. Hey, Brad at halfhourwasted.com if you're interested. So, you're going to get at least two shows of this nature. Yeah, so very good. Buckle down. Get and used to it. Expect one of these next week. <laughs> and, uh, well, hey, you know, uh, here, in, uh, here in a couple of weeks after these shows have run their course, uh, maybe it'll be cool enough to actually uh, be on the patio. Yeah. So, uh, it's getting close, though. Um, We've had a lovely string of, uh, of sub-100 degree days here in Texas, mm-hmm. so uh, take that, Phoenicians. <laughs> and we have we have a few topics to discuss, but I'm wondering if perhaps we should check in on uh, Sage's email box. Oh, yeah, say, and uh, Turge at HalfHourWasted.com? Turge at HalfHourWasted.com. Uh, Sage has been uh, generous enough to let me... And he has trusted me. Goodness gracious! He has trusted me with the what's the word I'm looking for? The moderation. I don't know. I'm a little bitter that that his father isn't moderating this account. But whatever. He he, you and he clearly made some kind of hazy, smoky, you know, backroom deal. Now, Brad, did you get many emails? I've I've actually got three or four from or listeners. Four. So why don't we do like two now and two later? Okay, yeah, save a couple. Yeah, all right. All right. Um, Matt Heath, okay, sends an email to Sage. He good Robin. That's a Saber Draken, I believe is his forum name. Mm-hmm. Better good. Just remember, Sage, you're not short. You're just concentrated. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> How does it feel? How does it feel to be the smartest guy in the room? <laughs> to know that you are absolutely right and everyone else is absolutely wrong. Sincerely, Matt Heath. That's awesome. I tell you what, you know, thank Matt, you, Matt. There's at least a chance that Sage may be the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, but not now because he's not in here. Yeah. Matt um, is spelled with one T, by the way. Okay, so he's it's a, Nate. No, I think it's Matt. Well, no, that's how that's the the rules of English grammar state. 
that when you have a how you single... Pronounce, how do you pronounce that thing that you put on your head? Okay, what I'm talking about... <laughs> what I'm talking about is... Brad, my hate? When you have a single consonant <laughs> after a vowel, it produces a long vowel sound. Next up at bait, it requires <laughs> Hamilton... <laughs> It requires a double consonant after a vowel to produce a short vowel sound. And yes, the word hat should be spelled with two T's. Oh. Not my fault okay. that Americans can't figure out Would the Would you like to hear right. Sage's response? Oh. He says, thanks, Matt. Your name is spelled incorrectly, by the way. BTW. He says BTW. Were your parents hippies? Uh, these dudes have absolutely no idea how much I screw with their heads if they only knew. And then, uh, hey, can your wife get me a a, a cane, a beer, <laughs> a flagon of mead? I'm trying to. I'm playing more oh, on the. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Three. Apparently, that would be a flagon. Or yes, a flagon of mead. Jordan Gilbert wrote your son an email. Oh, Jordan, really? yeah, he's Esquire. So, so I think it goes without saying, but when this whole house of cards inevitably comes crashing down, it's you and me versus all the old guys. Ooh! Wow! Say, Jordan shouldn't be talking. He recently turned well, twenty-five. I, I, he's quarter of a century. I, uh, I congratulated Jordan on his birthday uh, a few days ago. Happy birthday, by the way! He Jordan. is the youngest of the rest of us, though. And I did remind him that uh, I was old enough to theoretically be his father. Yeah. Uh, your son says, "You bet, bro. I've always felt a kindred spirit in you because we're so close in age. I'm still surprised at how deep your voice is, though." <laughs> How was your nap time today? Mine was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you mean a date time? Date time, yes. Uh, Jordan responds, Unfortunately, it was non-existent, however needed. You're a surprisingly eloquent writer, by the way. You must have inherited that from your polymath genetic stock. Nice. Sage says, I don't know what that means. I'm only five, man. <laughs> okay. I'll save the next two. Yeah, I'll save the next two. For next for- email. And he if does, you want to email Sage... He does come from a diverse gene pool. Yeah. Much like uh, um, when referring to dogs, uh, um, oftentimes you want to get a mutt because they have a nice diverse gene pool. Meaning, <laughs> Don't you mean a mute? <laughs> no, mutt is actually spelled with two T's, so it works. Man, so I, send I, hate Sage, to, I hate to blow the gag, man. You can send Sage an email at turge... T-U-R-G-E at halfhourwasted.com. Yes, and he'll, he'll answer you. And use the at sign. Don't spell out the word at, A-T. Because you would have to spell it A-T-T, and that would be confusing. And we're going to talk about something that's not old, that's not new. No, this, this is, is very old that but Bill what? turned us on to. new to me. We're it's not new to me the, as well. We're not doing the... Other stuff? No, now? we're doing that next. We're doing that next? Next week. Okay, so we're saving room for that to get pushed back three weeks. It's going to take that, no. that's that long to talk about this. No, we're no not. I think this will be fun because it's 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 it'll be theorizing about what could have been yes. and, uh, and stuff. But uh, first, Bill, why don't you explain yeah. how you came across this? I had, uh, uh, I had never heard of this concept. So um, this is new to you as well? It was new to me, okay. yes. And... Uh, um, me being a, a fan of the weirdo Brit writers. Don't you mean Fane? <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Sure. Okay. Me being a fan of the weirdo Brit writers, um, your Abnett and Lannings, your your Moores, your Morrisons, your I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, I saw a tweet, I believe, that led me to a, a web page. Uh, the title of the web page uh, was um, quite intriguing. 
the uh, headline said, could we get a Twilight of the Superheroes from DC Comics? Um, so there are some people at home going, I know exactly what this is. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they're Moorheads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, bet it, you, I bet you 99% of the dudes uh-huh. know what this is. Yeah. But this if is any one of these people's first name is Craven, then I'm laughing. <laughs> I mean, obviously they... Um, Craven Moore? Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. They, uh, you know the, what? I do have a soundboard I can use. It's on my, it's on my phone, actually. It's on my phone. They, they, uh, this is something that was obviously established a while ago, but never... Uh, this is almost things of, of legend or urban legend. It, it's almost... There are facts about it, but not everyone knows about it. Well, Alan Moore did this... Um, what year was it? But he did Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Where he and Kurt Swan teamed up. Let me. And I don't have it up on my computer. I'm doing this from from memory. Good luck with all that. Um, Excuse me, memory. There you Uh, go. Oh, hey, I'm gonna get it right. Um, But he wrote a a fictional account, Um, fictional, you know, versus the actual canon of Superman DC Comics. About uh, basically what happens. That was when... a 1986 okay. story. That makes sense. That and came that... out right with uh, Crisis, didn't it? And I was under the impression that that was canon for, uh, well, for Superman of, of, uh, of Earth 2. Okay, maybe that's what it was. Um, I've never actually gotten to read the comic. Wasn't that the last pre-Crisis Superman story? That's um, what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it, it's a, uh, a conceptual piece that takes place in the future... Um, Alan Moore was lucky enough to get um, uh, uh, who did I just say? Uh, Kurt Swan to draw it. Um, Kurt Swan, of course, is famous for doing uh, Superman uh, back during the uh, Silver Age, um, and it kind of focused on basically what the end of Superman's run might look like, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, at least the end of his uh, his time on Earth. Um, it, it it mirrored thematically. Um, what uh, Frank Miller did with uh, Dark Knight Returns. In fact, uh, um, Alan Moore references Dark Knight Returns more than once in this little treatise he writes. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, the, the concept um, is that basically Ragnarok comes to Earth. Uh, why, why don't you read that description on, okay. on Wiki? Because it, it, does, it encapsulates it very well. Okay. About this idea that Alan Moore had for an event dealing with crossovers and stuff, and, and he was, was, and he had opinions about crossovers. It was too. his event that it was his idea of how to do an event the right way that didn't damage past stories, that didn't damage future stories. It was he was tired of the way. I didn't get that. I did when well, I read the, that. The sure. thing I really liked hearing, um, uh, this this treatise that Alan Moore, this treatment, however you want to call it, that Alan Moore wrote up, ends up being 29 some odd pages. It's a long, dense read. Uh, but this is supposed to kind of encapsulate what is probably going to be some kind of 12-issue-ish maxi-series. Right. I mean, it was not going to be a quick three issues and out or anything. This is going to take a long time, you know, to come to boil, I guess. He mentions in that article more than once that he, he likened it to a Watchmen-style format yeah. in the the number of issues and the page count of the issues. Yeah. And then let, let's kind of get to just briefly what we're talking about. Now, Bill, I see you have the plot up, but I was actually just talking about the brief description 
Uh, I have it up if you... The brief description? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, where's this? Oh, you talking about the, on the wiki page? Yeah. Okay. I yeah, think, I think that that's too. more concise. Um, okay, where is that? Um, the very top, top two paragraphs. Oh, okay. Um, Twilight of the Superheroes is the title of a proposed comic book crossover. Um, Alan Moore submitted to DC in 87 before his split with the company. Um, uh, Twilight is considered a lost work. Uh, the proposal gained fame after surfacing on the internet in the 90s, um, and uh, where its status uh, is a lost work by one of the superstars of the medium, quote fingers engaged, as well as his dark treatment of superheroes. Uh, the title refers to Wagner's opera Twilight of the Gods, or Götterdämmerung. Uh, the story was to be set two decades, roughly, into the future of the DCU, and would feature the ultimate final battle between the heroes of Earth, um, including older and younger generations of superheroes, as well as supervillains and some extraterrestrials. Uh, it was conceived as a standalone limited series, which could also be tied to ongoing titles at the other writer's consent, much like the then-recent uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. So that's, that's the very brief elevator pitch of yeah. what this idea was. And, and we do have a plot description of it that we can get to in a minute. But, uh, I mean, it sounds pretty ambitious. I mean, it sounds... Well, what's interesting to me is that, uh, that there are echoes of this idea um, rippling across the DCU since then. Clearly, a number of creators, uh, whether, or not, whether or not the general public saw this, I guess it's been leaked in one form or another since 1990, um, roughly. Um, so I'm sure there's people out on the Internet who have seen it. But it seems clear to me that your Mark Wades and, and other DC creators have absolutely read this because um, I, I felt a lot of shades of this. I mean, this, this feels a lot like uh, what they did in Kingdom Come in a lot fewer, episodes, in a lot fewer issues. Yeah, in that, same, in that same wiki article, let, mm-hmm. me, let me find it here, uh, Moore felt that this, per, uh, this prevented superheroes from achieving... No, 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 I want to move over. That is a great point. We'll get to that later. Right. Um, In fact, I lost my star. I lost what I wanted to to point out. But anyway, it's important to stress that his idea behind this was for to to show how crossovers could be done in his mind the correct way, where they didn't they didn't cheat the reader. It wasn't purely for money, profit, event type of. Uh, uh, circus type of a thing going on and a way for writers of other series to mm-hmm. choose whether or not they wanted to participate and whether they wanted to participate or not it would work either way you know if by by a writer not choosing to involve his book yeah that would actually add to the story in this miniseries yeah and it was his idea he, you know, as, as much as he enjoyed Crisis, he still had problems with it. And this was his way of, of doing a company-wide crossover major event and that, in his mind, wouldn't, quote-unquote, screw anything up. And it, it creates essentially a pocket universe, much like Dark Knight, uh, The Dark Knight Returns, much like... Well, um, much like the Watchmen, to where it just exists on its own. Well, this and could have happened. Kingdom Come, to this, some extent, too. Yeah. This um, could have happened. This probably didn't happen. It, it's up to your imagination. It well, is a standalone 
Sorry. Well, Alan Moore, uh, he writes, um, and we'll we'll link this uh, we'll link this page, um, uh, assuming it's still there um, on Monday. Um, but Alan Moore, he again this twenty nine page uh, treatment uh, uh, leading up to his his explanation of his ideas for the story itself. Um, he spends a number of pages just talking about why he wants to do this and how he wants to do this and how it will affect everything or how it will fit into everything else. And um, in Alan Moore's words, quote, it seemed to be attempting to give a sort of resonant mythic context to the DC pantheon while at the same time establishing a more vigorous social context for the assembled characters in terms of the storyline, thus drawing the whole DC continuity together into an interesting whole which is exactly what needs doing in the wake of the crisis. Which is funny the, because uh-huh. that's what Marv Wolfman and George Perez were trying to do with Crisis, and Alan Moore viewed it as well, having the opposite effect. Alan Moore, he says in this that he really enjoyed Crisis, yes. but the idea that, that there were a number of, of technical or foundational issues that Crisis spawned not just solved. Right. Because, of course, you know, is we're beating a dead horse at this point to, you know, inform the audience that Crisis was an attempt to streamline the DC, uh, the DC universe by eliminating all of the numerous parallel uh, Earths and universes that had sprung up organically over time. I mean, it started with... Um, it started with uh, Flash meaning Flash back in 19... 19- Again, it's off the top of my head, 58, 61, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. um, which... Uh, Flash uh, Jay, of Two Worlds. Jay Garrick, Flash of Two Worlds, exactly. Um, uh, Flash Rebirth issue five, I think, uh, homage that cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Jay Garrick meets uh, Bruce... Barry. Barry, thank you. Not Bruce Allen. That sounded weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, they... Uh, uh, since then, um, different worlds had spun off and spun off and spun off to the point where DC thought that it had become unwieldy for the, for the reader. And I always, as much as I've got the original floppies of Crisis, I bought them when they came out. I'm so happy with myself for still having them. And I still think it's one of the great comic stories I've ever read. With that said, I never thought that that was a situation that needed to fix it. I, I, Alan Moore didn't either, apparently. It, yeah. It, you know, you used the phrase developing organically but it uh, to me it, it the DC universe was cobbled together in, in my opinion because they were buying properties well, and trying to make them work in these worlds yeah. in this world that already existed that's how it got unwieldy it almost feels like if they had just said everyone is on the same earth and not do this multiple earth earth yeah. thing they would have been they would have been so much better but the problem was is that you know, Captain Marvel and Superman, yeah. they have they are essentially the same superhero. Right. You know, uh, The Question and, and Batman, they're essentially the same, and Blue Beetle to an extent. Yeah. They're, they're the same hero. And that's a really good point. I think when I when I said organically, uh, what, I, what I was intending to uh, come out with was that there was never a conscious decision, okay, now we need an Earth 2. Who do we put in it? Okay, now we need an Earth 3. Now we need an Earth 4. It was never an editorial mandate, you know, to say we need to create parallel worlds and populate them. But yes, when they bought Fawcett, when they bought Charlton, uh, when they bought this company and that company, they had to figure out a way, as you're saying, to shoehorn these characters 
into the DC universe as we uh, as we knew and loved them when we were children. And so all of a sudden, uh, you've got Earth S for the Shazam family, and you've got Earth Two for the original Justice Society, and you've got Earth whatever um, for the the Ray the the Ray and Uncle Sam and all those guys. And, and so yes, um, I guess. It did theoretically grow organically, but um, um, but yeah, it was kind of a uh, shotgun marriage uh, of all these different uh, mythologies. And put it in, and so that's where they ended up. Like we got to do something about this. Thus came the beginning of Crisis yeah. on Infinite Earth, and then it, it you know as it started to be one thing. It became another thing. It was almost like they were too afraid to take that giant leap and create one universe. Instead, they yeah. tweak some things here and there, you know, getting rid of the two Supermans that we have now, getting rid right. of, of, you know, writing away some of the characters, you know, in a in a tribute sort of fashion, and, and ending up with something that eventually they had to revisit back in Zero Hour, and they even had to revisit back in Infinite Crisis, you know, right. a number of years later. They were never able to just jump the gun up until yes. recently. Let's not, let's not forget Final Crisis. And Final Crisis. Well, no, we can leave Final Crisis. No, no. <laughs> I don't want to forget Final Crisis. I guess you guys can if you want to. Thank you, Grant Morrison. <laughs> um, that, the, that is Frank that Herbert is of comic book writers, Frank uh, Grant Morrison, ladies and gentlemen. You know, that just, that, that Take is just a, a bow, bad, Grant. That is a bad story. There's a, yeah, I, went back and reread, I went back and reread that a few months ago, and... Uh, um, I found it incredibly interesting. There's an interesting bit of this uh, treatise where um, Alan Moore describes what he feels are the problems with something like uh, an event like Crisis that wipes and kind of straightens up and cleans up continuity. Okay. And I won't read the whole thing, but the way he worded it encapsulates my exact feelings about the new DC-52. Okay, if you're not going to read the passage I've got highlighted... Then go ahead and read it. Go ahead and read it. Okay. Um, uh, My guess is that I'm going to score and I'm going to nail what you were uh, going to talk about. Uh, Again, quoting Alan Moore, Although the motive was pure and the aim true with regard to crisis, I can't help feeling that somewhere along the line, in the attempt to consolidate and rationalize the DC cosmos, a situation even more potentially destabilizing and precarious was created. Instead of the parallel Earth cosmology that was, if the reader was sensible enough to overlook obvious discrepancies as what they were, uh, just such as simple mistakes, um, in the wake of crisis and related seismic impacts on the continuity, like John Byrne's new Superman books, we have a situation far less defined and precise. In the wake of the time-altering at the end of the crisis, we are left with a universe where the entire past continuity of DC, for the most part, simply never happened. Keep reading, keep reading the next sentence. While I understand that Paul, and he's referring to Paul Levitz who was writing, uh, who was writing the Legion of Superheroes at the time, uh, Legion of Superheroes had to uh, do a lot of jumping through flaming hoops and uh, uh, bending over backwards to write Superboy out of Legion continuity because Superboy was the reason, Superboy has, had always been the, in, the literal inspiration for the Legion. I mean, like the Legion's characters, Lightning Lad, Cosmic Boy, uh, Saturn Girl, they were inspired to create the Legion in part by the legend of Superboy. All of a sudden, Superboy's a character that literally never existed. 
because um, he showed up on Earth and didn't reveal himself to the public until he became Superman, thanks to John Byrne's reboot, which of course happened with the blessing of DC Editorial, or possibly the direction of DC Editorial. Um, anyway, he says that, while I understand that Paul Levitz is attempting to sort out the Legion slash Superboy problems over uh, in LSH at the moment, and that other writers are tackling similar discrepancies, the fact remains that by far the larger part of DC's continuity will simply have to be scrapped and consigned to, the, uh, consigned to one of Orwell's memory holes, awesome, along with a large amount of characters who, more than simply being dead, are now unpeople. Okay, let me... Which is much like being an ex-parent. Yeah, let me read just two more sentences. That, Please do. Because these two sentences encapsulate the way I felt feel about the new DC-52. What? I believe this is dangerous for a couple of reasons. Firstly, by establishing the precedent of altering time, you are establishing an unconscious context for all stories that take place in the future, as well as for those which took place, or rather didn't take place, in the past. The readers, this is me right here, the readers of long standing somewhere along the line are going to have some slight feeling that all the stories they've been followed avidly during their years of involvement with the book have been in some way invalidated, that all those countless plot lines weren't leading to anything more than what is in some respects an arbitrary cutoff point. By extension, the readers of today might well be left with a sensation that the stories they are currently reading are of less significance or moment because after all, at some point, ten years in the future, some comic book omnipotent, be an, an editor or the specter, can go back in time and erase the whole slate, ready to start again. That is exactly how I feel about what the DC-52 is now. He, he went on to say, I myself felt something similar at the end of the Superman film when he, when he turns time back to save Lois. It ruined the small but genuine enjoyment that I had gotten from the first movie and destroyed all the credibility for all the following sequels as far as I was concerned. And that anything can be changed, yeah. so why bother telling that you know story. what I he's, totally get it. he's a sour old man because if you didn't like Superman for the quest for peace then whatever you know that, just that, is, that is a perfect uh, illustration of my feelings about all this time and money let's not forget over the last 20 years that I've invested in the DC universe all that stuff doesn't matter now is the way it feels to me and that that is a perfect Illustration of the way I feel, and so his idea for this crossover, which I think now is a good time to talk about the actual story because it is very interesting. It's his way of avoiding that kind of thing happening to readers, among so, among other things. So while we talk about the plot, Bill, could you bring up the the plot? Um, and give it a. Well, he. Um, I think it's an excellent point about the DC uh, And yes, we'll uh, we'll read the plot here. Um, Okay. Um, okay, this is uh, written. Um, this is a website called hobos.com. Never heard of it. Um, I'm sure it's very nice. So, this is uh, somebody condensing Alan Moore's treatment, and uh, it is as follows. Um, okay, getting down and dirty into the story. Rip Hunter makes contact with John Constantine and convinces Constantine that not only is Hunter from the future. But he also has been in contact with Constantine's future self, and boy, they got a mission for him. They need to warn all the heroes not to do things that bring them closer to Twilight. And what is this horrible Twilight that we need to avoid? 
1995 or so, some supervillains tried to take advantage of the social chaos spreading across the world. So the Justice League started really cracking down on supervillains. It was presumably no longer possible to just hand the villains over to the authorities since there were none. Uh, this generally was looked on by the public as a good thing. The JL were seen as forces for order in a world fast crumbling. Unfortunately, it went to their heads. I, I have a mild issue with that. Alan Moore tried to make it clear that it did not go to their heads. It's just kind of the way this, the, 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 that Earth evolved. Um, unfortunately, it went to their heads, and they actually tried to consolidate their power. Uh, one part of this is outlawing aliens, which caused a rift among all the heroes that eventually led to the breakup of the heroes into rival houses. No. Hang on. This is not. Yeah. This. These are not Alan Moore's words. This is somebody. Correct. That's this what I'm paraphrasing. Okay. Yes. That's okay. what I'm saying here. Okay. Um, the, uh, the houses. Uh, the houses, by the way, were the House of Steel, the House of Th- and, and I'm I'm tangenting off of this for a moment. The houses were the House of Steel, the House of Thunder, House of Titans, House of Mystery, House of Secrets, House of Justice, House of Tomorrow, and House of Lanterns. And that'll make House, sense in a moment. Yeah. Um, should I encapsulate what each of the houses are or go back to the plot? Let's do that no, later. Do okay. that. All right. Um, now, the houses of Steel and Thunder are preparing for the upcoming marriage between Superboy, who is 18 years old and a punk, by the way, and Mary Marvel Jr. This causes a lot of stress uh, within and without the two houses. Alone, the lesser houses, um, the lesser houses are every house but... Steel and Thunder. This House of Steel is Superman family, right? Including Wonder Woman at this point. Yes, House calling herself Superwoman. Wonder Woman has adopted the name yeah. Superwoman and has married Superman. Okay, and then House of Thunder is Captain Marvel. Yes, and, and the Marvel and family. And okay. Yeah. Um, so um, alone, the lesser houses could have withstood by joining together an assault by either Steel or Thunder. Together, Steel and Thunder would be invincible. Um, tangent, the question is investigating a murder mystery. A midget went to a brothel with a very tall, beautiful call girl that nobody had ever seen before. When the door was broken down several hours later, the midget was found, um, dead. Uh, the room was locked with no other exit. Uh, the girl was gone. No murder weapon. The House of Steel is having trouble trying to conceal Superboy's sadistic and sociopathic behavior. The House of Thunder is having trouble trying to conceal the, uh, tryst between Captain Marvel Jr. and Mary Marvel, who was married to Captain Marvel Sr., yeah. for lack of a better word. Um, mainly because Captain Marvel Sr. is finally beginning to show some real interest in his wife. And of course, Mary Marvel Jr. does not want to marry the sociopathic Superboy. That gets a little confusing, but it's... Yeah, I'm already spinning. Um, well, that, this, is those a, two sentences. this is Alan Moore we're talking about right. here, which is awesome. Constantine makes a note of all these stresses uh, moving in and among the various factions. The lesser houses begin to formulate plans for an attack on the houses of steel and thunder. Blackhawk continues his recruitment of new Blackhawks. Constantine makes contact with the elite council of the Shadow and the Batman, encouraging them in their plans to oust all superheroes from Earth. He discovers Adam Strange and learns of and encourages the alien takeover plan. He informs Captain Marvel of the Justice League's attack plan and... Through the lighting of a cigarette, I don't get that, convinces Marvel not to aid the House of Steel. I think it's kind of a uh, Paul Revere type situation. Like, if I light a cigarette, that means One, if this. I land, if I light a cigarette, this. If I eat a ham sandwich, that. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> or you can put them under your arms so you feel funny. <coughs> <coughs> ah, 
He even makes contact with gold. I'm sorry. Um, he even makes contact with gold and an old, crippled man who turns out to be Metron banished to Earth. He tricks gold into being melted down and makes use of Metron's Mobius chair. Isn't that macabre? Yeah. He tricks gold into being melted down. Wow. And I, you know, in this treatise, they don't they don't tell you whether the rest of the metal men are around. Uh, the first time I read this, I thought gold is not an old. He makes contact with gold. Uh, well, then, gold was Metron. No, no, it says he makes contact with gold and an old crippled man who turns out to be Metron. Oh, so okay. The first time I read through this, I had the same confusion. But no, there there are two entities. One of them Metron, one of them the one metal man that they reference in this. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Move to the day of the wedding. The various attacks go as planned. Super, oh, spoiler alert. Of something that never happened. <laughs> well, here we get to the nuts and bolts of the, uh, of, of the, the action. We're not quite to the denouement yet, but we are uh, rapidly approaching the climax of the story. Um, the various attacks on the day of the wedding go as planned. Superwoman... Wonder Woman Senior kills Superwoman. <laughs> Superwoman kills Wonder Woman, who is Marvel Girl. Captain Adam kills Superwoman in retaliation. Um, Captain Adam, by the way, is the head of the House of uh, Justice. By the way, uh, which was the remaining Justice League. Uh, I guess we'll get into that later. Um, so key notes, everybody. Um, Superboy and most of the Justice League and most of the House of Secrets are all killed. Captain Marvel Jr. and Mary Marvel escape into space, start a new life, and Supergirl goes with them. Now, eventually, only Superman and Captain Marvel remain standing back to back. Superman badly beaten. This is awesome. What's yeah. about to come up? And Army, th- this kind of almost feels like this is something. This you kind of see where Jeff Johns gets a lot of his inspiration from. Yeah. I think in this, an army of Hawkmen, Lanterns, and Martians arrive by Zeta Beam at this moment. Superman prepares to go prepares to go into battle again alongside Captain Marvel. But take a deep breath, everybody. Captain Marvel is not Captain Marvel and has not been since the story began. Now, originally he was a boy, Cap- Billy Batson, stuck in a man's body. Now, as he grew older, he became a man. That's me. They just <laughs> described me. That's awesome. Good for you. Don't grow up. Now, as Captain Marvel grew older, he became a man stuck in a boy's body. Benjamin Button. Gross. Among the many psychological problems developed were a few... Adult ones. Thank you. Uh, As he wasn't capable of normal relations. relations. I was there for you, Frank. Now, it turns out that he was the midget who had been found deed... That was Billy, huh? Yeah, that was Billy. Killed by the Martian Manhunter, an agent of the aliens on Earth... The Manhunter then took on Captain Marvel's form. Which makes sense because Captain Marvel has the same basic power set as Superman and Captain Marvel, so he would be able to pull off... You said Captain Marvel has the same basic power set. You meant Martian Manhunter? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, of course. Um, Thank you. Uh, Now, Superman and the Manhunter fight it out. Superman uh, finishing off Manhunter with his heat vision, but it is too late. Fire! Bang! (laughs) One of the lamest weaknesses ever. Yeah. Really worse than yellow or, or wood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's one thing I always, that always uh, uh, always tripped me out about DC uh, universe uh, versus one thing that made Marvel um, more realistic than DC was that you know Wolverine wasn't uh, you know his you know, his weakness wasn't fruit. 
you know, or you know styrofoam. My, <laughs> you know what my weakness is? Bullets. Right, no doubt. Um, but yeah, in the DC Mine's universe. Mine's nutshots. Hey! <laughs> but in the DC universe, of course, you know, not a new thing. Um, all of the original heroes, uh, they had to have a weakness. Um, I mean, I don't remember Flash having a real weakness, but uh, yeah, Green Lantern, you know... Green Lantern's weakness was yellow, Wonder Woman... And time, if you remember, he had the 24-hour deal. Right. They later changed it to 100%. Yes. But, which was a much better deal. Yeah. Um, Wonder Woman, uh, um, her weakness was being bound up by a man. Thank you, <laughs> William Molston Martin, you you odd bird, you. Um, of course, the original Green Lantern, Alan Scott... Um, his ring was powerless against wood. All right, keep, finish the plot. Yeah, finish Woody, the plot. Woody sounding word. Woody. Um, okay, so Superman has killed man with his heat vision. Uh, Superman is now alone against the aliens. Uh, so we have a powerful and intense sequence where Superman manages to smash his way through a lot of the alien forces single-handed while being ring-whipped by the lanterns only to finally be beaten to death in single combat by the massive and frighteningly powerful Sodal Yacht. And, and they don't mean Sodam Yacht, do they? That's not a, that's not a typo. Know. That is the I've never heard Green Lantern I think it's Alan I think, Moore I think that created. is a typo. Okay. I think it's Sodam Yacht. Because so, I've never heard D-A-M. of Sodal Yacht. I think it's a typo. Okay. Sodom Yacht. You know I'm going to look him up right now. Thank you. Please look do. It. Yeah, Sodam. Okay. Yeah, it's a typo. Okay, so... Uh, who is who is active current? I believe in current DC. Well, at least before Flashpoint was. Yeah, yeah. Um, they uh, Jeff Johns brought him back. Yes, Jeff Johns uh, brought him back in what Legion of Three Worlds, right? Sodam Yacht is a fictional character in extraterrestrial superhero. He's fictional. By, uh, yes, published uh, by DC Comics. He first appeared in Tales of the Green Lantern Corps Annual Two in 1986, created by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. He has weird? operated as Ion in the past. Isn't it weird that doesn't work as doesn't well? Work. My wife is. You know. It's not working. Yeah, it's weird. She's got a mind of her own. I expect one of the dogs to come here any minute, though, <laughs> or, or, or Sage. Okay. Uh, okay. So we're we're finish getting, up. We're so close to the end of this, so I will finish up. So, the aliens are poised to take over the Earth after having killed Superman. Now, Constantine's reserve force, as well as the forces of Batman and the Shadow, move in. Wearing thin golden armor made from the body of gold. Wow, that's macabre. Redundant as well. So the lanterns are thus rendered ineffective. This momentarily drives the alien forces back until one of the aliens points out there's a massive army ready to pour uh, onto the earth and the heroes simply can't stop it. Uh, Whatever that means. Constantine calls upon his final play. He used the Mobius chair at some point previously to travel to Cord. Um, and what is Cord? It's uh, the planet of Weaponers. Uh, they are opposed to the Green Lantern Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, they live in a, a negatively charged universe. They have and yellow rings. Really bad guys. Yeah, they have yellow rings instead of uh, the green rings. Yes. They are essentially the opposite of us. Yes. Um, uh, and if That's any where of you, Sinestro's ring was first made. Yeah. Yes, and if any of you remember. Uh, the Sinestro Corps uh, War, uh, which was just one of the first amazing pieces of DC literature of the 2000s. Um, you get all over Cord, and it continues uh, through the uh, Green Lantern Corps, and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so anyway, 
Constantine had used the Mobius chair to travel to Cord, where he sold him the secret of boom tube technology in exchange for a firm promise to leave Earth and its system alone. While the aliens are getting ready to take over Earth, their home planets are being overrun by Cordian weaponers. So apparently, uh, the Cordians said, no problem, we'll leave Earth alone. But as soon as those aliens leave to come attack Earth, the Cordians say, hey, I didn't say anything about your planet. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so that's uh, kind, of, kind of jerky by the Cordians. Mm-hmm. They're stupid bug eyes. All right. <laughs> anyway, so, so almost done. Unless you, unless you want a tangent here. No. Okay. Please. Everyone lives happily Please, ever... for the love of God. I know. Finish. We're almost done. Everyone lives happily ever after, at least on Earth. Only non-powered heroes are left, and these take off their masks and go public. Um, Constant, quote, Constantine explains to them that under the guidance of the Batman, the Shadow, and all the rest, American society, free of government or a super dictatorship, will start to organize itself along different lines so that it can deal with the future without fear or anxiety. The days of the big powers are over, and henceforth America will be built up for much smaller and more flexible units, both socially and economically, the and end. seen. The end. All right, so I have read maybe 5 to 10% of what Alan Moore has written. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, not a fan of Alan Moore's writing. I realize that I'm in the minority, probably. Yeah. I mean, um, if, if nothing else, it's cool to say you like his writing. The Watchmen, to me, was underwhelming and overrated. I get it. I know. That's blasphemy. I understand. Uh, no, I mean, it's not... It's not it's not the most exciting comic I've ever read. In fact, I've tried to read it a number of times and just said, you know, I'm good. Um, but I, I, it's, I would its like social to... importance outweighs its in the amount of engagement it provides you as a comic book fan. I, I would like the, the, to say that Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing, which I've only read the first three trades, is just absolutely impeccably cool and good that and was just, the next thing to comment on, on my oh list. my gosh it was, is um so i was incredibly unimpressed with it oh see i've never and read maybe stitch. that means i'm just not smart enough for it alan moore it is very just his writing at times is almost poetic in a sense the way yeah. he describes the macabreness of the swamp and the way people think and it is it is not your simple just wham bam hit there is motivation behind it uh, if you guys are familiar with neil adams there's a you know neil adams definitely pulls from alan moore yeah and alan moore in fact wrote one of my favorite majestic stories if you know who majestic is <laughs> he's from Wildstorm. it takes place at the end of time okay where everything is dead except for majestic a goddess and a intelligent virus that lives inside of majestic and it's just them waiting for the end of time. And wow. just them, the Big Bang has, has collapsed, so they're just in this void of nothing. And it's just them talking, the three of them. And it's pretty bad. I okay, like... That, that disturbs me, because my, my understanding was that... Uh, um, well, I guess it depends on you know how dense the matter in the universe is, because the universe is either going to continue to expand... Uh, until the end of time, and you will you will get the and they talk about this in DC uh, comics all the time, but the uh, the impending heat death of the universe. And when we say impending, we mean billions, if not trillions, of years into the future. You know, 
Um, you, you don't need to, you know, sell your stocks and bonds and go party now. It's, it's not imminent. Um, but, uh, but, well, that, that's how powerful he was. He could live inside of a collapsed star. Well, I like uh, Galactus lived through the end of the previous universe into this new one. I like that's they should have they should have they should have brought Galactus could take care of this whole mess. <laughs> uh, that's where that's where Alan Moore screwed and up. And you get company crossover stuff. I like uh, Alan Moore's Man of Tomorrow. Whatever happened to Man of Tomorrow? Love okay. that story. I like Absolutely that. love that. Now, and again, there's a lot of Alan Moore. I just have read that I'm just like whatever. But yeah. I would give my left leg from the knee down to have seen this comic story produced yeah me too it sounds I like mean, a lot of fun I'm wondering I am wondering if Alex Ross took inspiration from this when he I, Kingdom Come well I had found another article where they had talked about how bits and pieces of what is in this story has been seen since that time sure what, that's the what Kingdom. I was saying it's like yeah. clearly Mark Wade and other D, if nothing else, DC writers got a hold of this mm-hmm. because this just feels like Kingdom Come to me. It, it it absolutely feels like Kingdom Come. I mean, especially when you put Captain Marvel and Superman together. I mean, that's the core. Yeah. As, as of I was listening Kingdom to Come. you read that plot, yeah, the images that were flashing through my mind were illustrated by Al Charles. Yeah, and it makes me. It just about makes me cry that Alex Ross seems to contain himself to nothing but covers. Yeah. I mean, has Alan? How many interiors of comic books has Alan Ross, uh, Alex, Alex Ross, uh, he did, actually done? He did that. Besides Superman, that's exactly what I was thinking. Superman meeting Superman. He uh, did like a, a one issue um, that had to do with the the, uh, the Superman of Earth Society of America. Story, the kingdom, like when the kingdom come, Superman came, came back. Starman, yeah, it was pulled him out of the kingdom come universe Mm -hmm. into the the DC proper, yeah, and he had some adventures there. And at the end, Starman sent him back to right as the bomb went off in Kingdom Come. But there was one issue where he, where uh, now wasn't that. yeah, I've got that. I think we've all got that issue. It's, I know it's I have it. One of my most favorite single issue stories ever. Now, wasn't that wasn't from Alex a writing Ross, standpoint, Brad? Oh, that story is so dull to me. Wasn't I Alex absolutely? Wasn't Alex wasn't that issue uh, like inked and colored as opposed to Alex Ross painting? Well, let's or am I thinking out. of something else? Is I honestly don't remember. But okay, because I'm Alex Ross. Drew it. At I least. can see the issue in my head. I, think I just it was can't full open up painted. the inside. I think and, it was and full look. painted. There may have been parts of it that were like that, but man, I want to now. I don't want to know which one it is because most of my comics are alphabetized. So theoretically, I'd go find it. Yeah, <laughs> it was a one issue Justice Society of America. I'm trying to see if I can find it. Kingdom Come Special. Yeah, Superman. Yeah, I've got that somewhere. Yeah, it's awesome. Let's see. I should have kept it when I sold my. Collection. But I remembered um, uh, writers, pencilers, inkers. I should give you mine if I can. And find cover it. artist. You okay with that? Colorist with someone else. Letter with someone else. So he uh, he penciled and inked it, but he did not color it. Yeah, because okay. I seem to remember that okay. it wasn't. It was Alex Ross's art, but it wasn't his painting. painting. His his okay. normal painted style, like you get on all his covers in Kingdom Come. Yeah. Um, it was still 
bad to the bone, but it wasn't, you know, what you expect when you hear the name Alex Ross. Bad. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen this produced. Well, uh, the the story here, uh, uh, it was um, it was on know? Bleeding Cool, by the way. Do uh, we know why it wasn't produced? Uh, Is that what you're getting ready to tell me? No, I don't know exactly why. Um, it was probably not produced because he left DC and had a falling out. Uh, that's that's very likely it. Um, okay, uh, let me let me read you this. Um, uh, and I'm trying to remember who was Rich Johnson. Rich Johnston. Um, we need to research this. DC Comics. Uh, uh, the article here... I got it right here. I'll read a little bit of it. It says, It was to have been Alan Moore's great DC Comics event that would cross over with all manner of DC. I think he books. writes for Bleeding Cool. Okay. So he didn't have something to do. He wasn't like a staffer at DC Let's back see, in the day or something. Former VP of book trade sales for DC who has okay. been credited with popularizing graphic novels in the He's mainstream. He's the founder and head writer of Bleeding Cool. Okay. And he was... Uh, he was a vice president at DC, apparently, uh, at some point. Okay, that's that's the connection I was looking for. Um, so, um, Alan Moore proposes a story about the end times of the DCU, a dark and apocalyptic future for DC Earth. The superheroes and villains split into different houses, with John Constantine given the power to change all of the word, and DC bought it. However, between buying the pitch and more actually working on the comic, he fell out with the publisher and went on strike. Now, um, so this was 80, somewhere between 87 and 90. I think 87. Uh, 15 years ago, which would have been, do the math, uh, would have been 1997, Moore gave me permission to reprint the proposal, which I was planning to do in a way designed not to infringe DC trademark, at which point DC Comics in their very first cease and desist uh, email to me. Um, on the very reasonable basis that they'd actually bought the proposal and paid Alan Moore, uh, something more than agreed that yes had probably happened, so that was that. Uh, what I don't get here then, if it was totally okay with him to not publish it, then it's interesting to me that um, the next line of this article says, The proposal is often hosted by one site or another until DC Comics tells them not. <laughs> and then there's a link that says, Right now it can be read here. And it's a uh, website called Four Color Heroes. Um, there are a few fair use extracts that may be worth mentioning. Um, I'll skip past this. Um, and this is the, the part I thought, such an interesting idea. Um, this is the part that kind of made me mad with this article I'm reading. Um, so the headline of the article is, Could we get a Twilight of the Superheroes from DC Comics? That's quite a leading statement there, isn't it? And then the final line of this article, with DC Comics looking at their assets and seeing what can be exploited, and Jeff Johns, the history of taking minor plot points by Alan Moore and turning them into massive crossovers, could Twilight of the Superheroes be rewritten, reinterpreted, but brought into service for today? Or possibly tomorrow? And that's the end of the article. So just, the whole article basically is like, hey, there's this cool idea, maybe it might happen, wonder if Jeff Johns is reading this, and it's like, really? So you didn't actually have any news that this might be, you know, in the works or something, you just, you just basically going to say, wouldn't it be cool if? You know, I think if... Kind of jerky if you ask me, Rich Johnston. I think if it was produced today, though, everybody would compare it to Kingdom Come, and say, yeah, 
this is too similar to Kingdom Come. And, or, well, I mean, if it was produced as we've read it. Well, and, and I don't know that you could do that. You don't have the continuity issues, frankly, with the New 52. I mean, uh, the New 52 has invalidated, theoretically, the need to do something like this. I guess. Now, well, this, this is a timeless story that could be yeah, told the, in almost any context. This is this is an Elseworld story. This is right. a what if. This can this can be written and well, exist. And that's one of the things that makes me mad. One of the reasons why I've always been kind of on the fence. I, I never I was never mad at DC for doing the new fifty two. I mean, I understand that the need for fresh blood and frankly, the new fifty two, for better or for worse, has revitalized DC. And you hear, you know, I, I see tweets from comic book shops all the time that said their poll numbers are massive this week. And I think a lot of that has to do with the relative interest in, in the new 52. Um, so well, I, I mean, totally it, agree with yeah. Brad's desire to keep things the stinking sane. But the, the simple fact remains that the new 52 has somehow, and this surprises me a little bit, has somehow sustained interest in DC's comic books, which, right? I mean, in the last six months or so before the New Fifty Two started, I think a lot of it was the writers knew that that this universe that they were writing in was about to go bye bye, at least to some extent. Although even the Green Lantern books, I thought, were getting weak, and and it, it kind of made me mad. The last, you know, Justice League, Justice Society, um, even though Willingham was writing Justice Society and he was trying some new things. It just, it was just like, I don't know if this is worth three bucks or my time. And I just, I kind of, I kind of didn't appreciate that, that it felt like DC was kind of spinning their wheels because they knew that something big was getting ready to happen. Well, th- this is, I mean, um, from a writer's and a producer's point of view, yeah. this is an exciting time to be part of, of DC because you are creating something from the ground up. Now, yeah. you know, 20 years from now, they're going to change it again. But that's going to be exciting for yeah. those, those those people 20 years and, from and, now. And yes, we, we realize, uh, kind listeners, that, that that reboot didn't include Batman or Green Lantern for, uh, for sales reasons. And, yeah, well, it's because it's working. Why fix it? You know, well, that, that's it, what I'm it, saying. It's, you know, I, I, I think we all tend to forget that, you know, complex is a business, man. you got to keep people interested in well, it. And See, that's when why sometimes... When, when we were kids... We didn't think of it that way. Right. right. And so our love of comics and these stories, our involvement, our dedication to these things is not based on, oh, it's a business. Right. It's based on, this makes me happy, this makes my brain rev, this gives me meaning sometimes when I'm having a bad day. And then when you try to reconcile that with, as an adult now, it's like, oh, this is all money-driven. It's really difficult to do that. And yeah. I that can, may I have can, been well, the breaking point the, for the me. Good thing, yeah. that, that, I mean, I've never had that problem distinguishing, I guess, as an adult, that it's a business. They have to reinvent it. That's why movies get remade. Well, That's why cartoons for kids get remade. I mean, the Turtles, they've been reinvented so many times. Look, Transformers have been reinvented so many times. I think part of what can help your, your mindset there, Brad, is that much like people who are, say, teachers or people who work in television, you don't do it because you're looking to get rich. You do it because you kind of love what you're doing. Yeah. And you kind of do it regard you know, you do it despite the fact that you know you're never going to have a stuffed 401k 
and a nice retirement plan waiting. You know, it's, it's because this is what you love to do, and you're silly enough to do that instead of getting a real job with your life. And I think that, you know, yes, it's a business in the corporate office, but I don't think it's a business to the creators and the, you know, to the artists and the writers. Um, I think, you know, if it helps any to, to them, they're still doing something that, that they feel is magical, you know, in a best case scenario. And so I think that, you know, you can take a little bit of solace from the fact that, that yes, while the corporate bean counters are always going to be hammering that poor VP of production, um, you know, the CEO of the company, whatever, um, the, the writers and the artists, I think, are always going to be doing it because they love it. Um, I think I, we've, you know, we've read the, we've read the thoughts of a hundred, you know, thousand different artists who pretty much all claim that they can make much more money doing commercial work, but they do the comics because that's what they grew up doing. I just, frankly, I, I don't know why I'm tangenting off in this direction, but I'm just, and I, I don't, I haven't looked at sales numbers. I don't know if, if the new 52 is saving the comics industry, but from, the, the the layman's view that I have of comics and what I read on the tweets and this is and that's, it seems like the comics industry may have bottomed out and this new 52, um, not alone, but it seems like maybe it's coincidental, but this, but with the new 52 coming around, it seems like people are starting to get back in the comic book stores. And maybe this is all synergistic. Maybe this is... You know, people go to see, you know, Thor or Green Lantern or the Avengers, you know, or Batman I, Rises. I, I think that's uh, been Dark Knight Rises proven more than 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 not that there's usually next to no bump up for those movies. Well, then then stuff. why? Okay, something something has inspired people to start going back to comic book stores in the last year or so. I mean, a year ago, you were making the point, Frank, and I argued it, and I think I argued it um, honestly. Um, you, know, you made the point that you thought that within a period of years, the comic book as a printed form was going to be gone, yeah. and that if if comics were around in single floppy format at all, they'd pretty much be digital. And, and I maintain that, much like records, I think... You know, the, a printed comic would always be, if nothing else, a boutique thing. Mm -hmm. I think you would always be able to get a written comic somehow, but the price might be prohibitive. And certainly it makes sense that comic books will move into a digital medium. Now, some combination of, of inspiration from, from the movies, which are being done well right now, and the digital format making the platform a little bit more mobile for people who want to be into comics, and it's a little bit cheaper for those who want to buy digital comics. Um, some combination of this and other mysterious factors seem to be revitalizing the industry in some way. Maybe it's a natural cycle. Maybe it's simply um, you know, parents inspiring their kids to want to read this. Maybe it's the movies making the general public think, this is cool, I don't have to be a nerd to enjoy this. I can keep my cool dude or cool chick card and still go to a comic shop. Something has happened that I clearly haven't researched, um, but something has happened, and it seems like 
the death of floppies has been, in the words of Mark Twain, greatly exaggerated. Yeah, I think I think like fifteen, twenty years. It's gonna well, but, but, be it's no, gonna no, no. be something that's just. But know, that but just, that would be if 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 you're talking fifteen or twenty years out, that would be a natural evolution. Yeah, that, that would that, not be that would not be a, a, a death by when, whatever. When you. When and you, you, the same thing's happening to bookstores right now. Yeah. Barnes and Noble is really struggling and, to stay in business. And that is interesting because yeah. people aren't buying physical books as much think, as they used to get. As they're getting, I think Barnes and Noble books. is struggling to stay in business because of Amazon more than the digital. Well, and, and well, that has a lot to do with. I it think too. one thing you find though is but, that well, Amazon recently announced that for the first time, Kindle book sales have outsold. Yeah, physical, physical book yeah. sales at their store, and you know before they always wow. used to count the free books, mm-hmm. but this was not counting the free wow. books. Okay, crazy. Well, one thing I think you find though, and we found this over and over again, um, is that the more options you give people, you know, they, they said that VCR is going to be a death of the movie theaters. It was the exact opposite. The, you know, VCRs in, uh, made people want to go see movies more. Um, I think in the same way, uh, digital distribution is not going to be the death of the print medium. Um, it's actually helping it. And it seems counterintuitive, but we, we have seen this phenomenon over and over again in our lovely little society of ours over the past 30, or 30 years or so. Over the last generation, you see, you know, a new method of disseminating this media product is going to cause the death of the previous medium. And it's just not the case. The, 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 the more formats you can get your medium out on, it, it benefits the previous mediums. It's, I, I think what happens with like digital mediums is that it, it, it takes out the used market, which with comic books, that is, that is a big deal. You, getting used comic books and stuff. Right. You're forced to have to purchase new items, and that is a real sale for DC. Like, yeah. we've all done it. We, I'll buy a book, and you're like, hey, can I read it? Sure, I give it to you. You know, you can't really do that with the with the digital one. You know, right. I can only see sales increasing for digital comic books and becoming, and them making more money from that simply because, you know, people just aren't buying them anymore. Yeah. And of course, we could get into the whole idea that um, you know that that I don't know if we have enough space left in the chip, but that could lead us directly into a a banal discussion of uh, um, is uh, internet piracy good or bad for business? Well, let's. You know I'm not going to do we, that. Should we wrap it up right now? Yeah, let's wrap that. it up. We're yeah. at an hour for this one. God, man, this could be two shows. We could be done already. <laughs> hey, not and not to mention the 30 minutes we spent before this show apparently spinning our wheels. I was going to use another phrase, but I decided to keep it family friendly. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, today has has felt special for some reason. Yeah, All it's day like long there's, today. There's it's like it's 9:12. There's What's not great about 9:12? I got up today and I thought, or is it 9:13? Well, <laughs> Okay. What, yeah, what, we have what's to think about again? that. Yeah. Sorry. Um, today has felt special because tomorrow is an important day. Oh, nice. How's that? Does that work? All, All right, right, baby. So, Brad, let's just say this. What's so great about tomorrow? In the future, 
Which is the past now, now is this going to be for listening to it. Is this yeah. going to be in canon, or is this an Elseworlds tale? <laughs> this you're about is to, canon. A yarn you're about to spin As for us. As we are recording this on September the 12th, we, even though it's happening tomorrow, but it's happening now... But if you're listening to it, it happened like three days ago. Right, I've gone cross-eyed. Oh, dear. The 13th of September is Callum Reevy's birthday. Yay! Happy birthday, man from the future. Good day, mate. Happy birthday, mate. Are you going to say it or will I? You say it. All right, well then, put another shrimp on the bobby. (laughs) And, uh... As a, an Australian friend of mine, not you, Callum, once uh, told me, uh, no, in Australia we don't say good day, mate. We say, how you going? So, you Callum, going? how you going? Let's see, I'm just... I'm, I'm I was a- also told that they don't drink Fosters down there, they drink 4X, so have a 4X for me. <laughs> Let's see, he's married to beautiful Lisa, he's got a Excellent. son named Stephen... He's, uh, Mind if we call you bros to keep it clear? <laughs> Yay! So few people get that, and that's their problem. G'day, Bruce. <laughs> I am not good at following instructions. This message told me to write something about myself, so I did. That's under About Callum on his Facebook. Oh, and by the way, Callum, remember Rule 5. There is no... It's, it's Rule 6, actually. Dang it! I thought Rule 6 was There's no... There's no... Rule 6... Rule seven. No, poofed us. <laughs> right, lads. <laughs> Happy birthday to you, Callum. Uh, I'm looking at some of his family pictures. Right oh, now. Callum. Lovely bunch. Lovely the, uh, the lovely professor was in Australia. Australia, Australia, Australia. We love you. Amen. Amen. Um, Great deal. <laughs> <laughs> she was uh, she was down there when she was a youngin. I think she was 10, 12, somewhere in there. And uh, her parents uh, went on like a three-week Australian vacation. Must be amazing. She got to uh, snorkel the coral reefs, apparently. And I would love to get down to Australia. But I'm scared of funnel web spiders <laughs> and drought and uh, kangaroos. But I tell you what, if I ever do get down there, we'll be happy to impose on you for days at a time. So, so yes, um, Callum, uh, be very careful uh, inviting us to come down and see you because... Uh, we will. Yeah, because we will. You know what? We should make it... You know what? We should take this show on the road. We should do Half Hour Wasted from Australia. That would be awesome. Wouldn't that be sweet? So. I'm looking for. Callum's got a nice. Cheap flights. I'm looking at this. <laughs> Callum, do you have a couple of spare bedrooms, by the way? Yeah, we might need those for a while. I'm looking at the script for that. Bruce's sketch. And I was trying to find one line. Yeah, yeah, well-spoken, Bruce. <laughs> should we, uh, should we reenact it? This here's the world. The end of our land. You can stick it in a bottle. You can hold it in your hand. Amen. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. All right. So again, yeah, thanks Catholic. for listening to this horribly audio, uh, audio horrible, horrible audio quality. No, program. people will be fine with it. If you no, they need not to be fine with it. So they will be uh, pumped up. Right, pumped up this... and prompted to maybe. Th- throw a couple of bucks our way to help purchase a new mixer. Which this show is... And, and if they want to contribute, brad at halfhourwasted.com. Send me an email, brad at halfhourwasted.com, and I will tell you how you can do so. Or right. turge at halfhourwasted. You yeah, can also send donate turge, to turge. Send turge an email. 
Um, uh, any dollar amount uh, is appreciated. You know, don't you know? Just because you you're not swimming in bucks like we are, right? You know, a dollar, yeah. two dollars, whatever. And I'm sorry, just simply because we're not willing to tap into a HHW's 401k account um, does mean that you know it's tax purposes. So uh, please help us, America. So actually, the world. We've got listeners in Norway. I don't even know what Norwegian money is. I know what Korean money is. It's funny. <laughs> Do you know what you know what a Korean what a it's a it's a dong, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, what is it? <laughs> Frank's right. It's yeah. dong. It's dong? dong. Yeah. Oh dong! One dong for you! How many dong for that? There's you know, there's a million ways you can go with that. And that's right next to Australia. Kind of. Sort of. Alright, let's wrap this up so we can talk about wasted. But next week we're gonna talk about Battlestar Galactica and yes, True Blood. Brad has and finished Brad has finished watching Battlestar Galactica. Or has he? Find out next week. And Bill's gonna talk about Avengers Mightiest Superheroes. Earth's Mightiest Heroes, sir. And Frank is gonna tell I'm gonna us talk about, about True Blood. True Blood. I got to the end of it. And you I saw, I saw the infamous. Way I saw the infamous season five, and there's a lot to be said about that. Didn't uh, we talk about that stuff two weeks ago? Uh, I didn't get to the end of it. No, I mean Bat Battlestar and True yeah. Blood. Yeah. Oh yeah, but it was kind of an introductory thing. There was no resolution. Yeah. It was a tease. Uh, leave us a voicemail. It was a giant at tease. Nine seven two. 798-3830. Drop us an email at halfhourwasted.com. We look forward to your contribution. Oh, how I wish. How I wish you were here. We'll see you next time on Half Hour Wasted. <laughs> Two pegs to go!